0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, June the 10th, 2022. It is currently 10 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. I need you to check. Do you have your luggage packed? Do you have everything packed that you think you're going to need? Because we're getting ready to take a road trip. I need you to make sure you've got everything packed. What what, 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 what are you bringing with you? What are you bringing with you? Okay, you got to bring a Bible. You, you got a notebook? You need a notebook. You need pencils. Remember, you cannot bring pens, all right? Pens are not allowed. They are the tool of the devil. You have to bring pencils. So I need pencils, Bibles. What else are you going to bring? I know what you're asking. How long are we going to be gone? Well, we're going to be gone, I don't know, for a long time because— we're going all the way back to well, we're, we're gonna travel back well over well not well over. We're gonna travel travel back in time over 500 years into the past. So so we're gonna travel 500 years into the past and then we're just it's gonna take us 500 years to get back to okay well that you would need to pack a lot, right okay no, no. we're just gonna go we're gonna take a a three hour cu- cr- a cruise. No, we're not gonna take a three hour cruise. We're going to take a short trip back in time. We're going to go back over 500 years ago, and we're going to sit down once again with Thomas Akempis, and we're going to listen to him, well, give us his theological perspective, as recorded in the very, very famous book, of the imitation of Christ, or you just may know it as the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis written over five hundred years ago. So we're gonna we're gonna pack up, we're gonna go back in time, but we'll come right back. We'll come right back. So you don't have to worry. It's You're not going to be gone for five—well, even if you were gone for 500 years, by the time you got back to this moment, well, everybody here would be 500 years into— the, Okay, never mind. We're not going to try to figure out time travel. Have you ever noticed when you watch movies about time travel how utterly confusing it can get? And sometimes you think, oh, that makes sense, until you really start thinking about it, and then there's always that one person who really pays attention to movies going— you do realize that if you traveled in time that way, that that wouldn't work. And if you did that, that would mess this up and that would mess this up. And you like, you're ruining the movie for me. Okay, so I'm not going to ruin time travel for you. We're just going gonna to take a quick trip back to, well, I, I don't have a specific date. So well over 500 years ago into the past, we'll sit down with Thomas Akempis. And we're going to once again pick up the book of uh, The Imitation of Christ or of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas the Kempis. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've taken, a, uh, this time traveling trip. Uh, the last time we went back in time over 500 years ago was on May the 10th, 2022. May the 10th, 2022 was the last time we traveled back in time. Um, I, I hate that it's been that long. I really do. I mean, because it's it's June the 10th now. So May the 10th, June the 10th. That's a long time. And I know we've talked about a lot of important issues. We've worked on a lot of important subjects. And you could argue that they needed to take precedent over our study of the imitation of Christ. But we've been working on the book of the imitation of Christ now for a very long time. We've really been working on it for a long time. So we should be much further into the book. And I know most people who probably started our our journey through the book have already, they've departed, they've given up, they're tired of traveling back in time, they don't care anymore, they moved on. And you know what? I can't blame them. I can't blame them. It's, it's no one's fault but mine that it's taken this long. But for those who have stuck with us, I hope you found this to be at least a, a somewhat satisfying journey so far. And I'm not going to quit. We're going to make it all the way through the book one way or the other, we're going to make it all the way through the book. Now there was another book we worked on that we failed and that was uh, the, uh, the uh, Christian complete armor but we are going we uh, trust me I I am aware of that failure and we're going to try to remedy it. We're going to try to correct it. I've got some ideas just just stay tuned but we've got to get further into the imitation of Christ. By Thomas Akempis. So are you ready? Okay. So before we go back in time, before we go back in time, because when we, if we go back over 500 years ago, we're not going to just be able to look up definitions. There, there are certain, certain tools we won't have available because, you know, there'll be no internet connection. So while we're still here in 2022, let me remind you of this very important definition. Are you ready? Gratitude, thankfulness, or gratefulness, From a Latin word meaning pleasing or thankful. Gratitude is regarded as a feeling of appreciation by a recipient of another's kindness, gifts, help, favors, or other form of generosity to the giver of such gifts. So if you have gratitude, right? It is a feeling of appreciation by the recipient. If you are the recipient of another's kindness, their gifts, their helps, their favors, or other forms of generosity. I want you to think this attitude, I want want you to think of the attitude, I want you to think of the concept gratitude, and I want you to think of having this attitude, and I know this is cliche, I know you've heard it said from the pulpit a million times, having an attitude of gratitude. I know it sounds, you know, oh, look, it's how clever, attitude of gratitude. I understand that. I, I, but it does work. This is one of the things that sometimes something becomes a cliche, but sometimes it does work. We do need to consider about having an attitude of gratitude because in our study of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas a. Kempis, we are, have been looking at a chapter entitled Gratitude for the Grace of God. Gratitude for the Grace of God. And I just need to ask you this evening, do you truly have a deep heartfelt sense of gratitude for God's grace? A deep, 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 deep gratitude. I mean, it is rooted deep inside of you. There's so much gratitude. It's just become an essential part of your being. And that gratitude is expressed frequently for God's grace, for his grace for his unmerited favor given to you. You don't deserve it. You don't, you don't earn it. You don't, de- I mean, there's not, it's just God has given his grace to you. Do you, are you overwhelmed by gratitude? And what are the negative consequences? Spiritually in your life, if you begin to lose that, feeling of gratitude. What do you think are the negative consequences to your spiritual life if you lose a sense of gratitude for God's grace? What what do you think the negative consequences are? I I really want you to contemplate that. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to just go back and we're going to work on this chapter. And what we're going to do, I'm just going to start back at the beginning. All right. We have really, it appears two paragraphs left, only two paragraphs left. That should be relatively short. And I know some people want me just to get there, but what we're going to do is we're just going to go through the whole chapter tonight. I'm not going to do much review, but I will I will spend most of my time of, of any analysis and comments for the last two paragraphs in the chapter. Now, if you remember, the Imitation of Christ but Thomas a. Kempis is broken down into four books. We are in book two. We are in chapter 10, and the chapter is entitled Gratitude for the Grace of God. All right? So I had a little bit of fun with the time travel, but we are going back 500 years in time, over 500 years in time. So I'm having a little fun with that, but but in all seriousness, all serious, all joking set aside, I really want you to consider what are the negative spiritual consequences in your life when you begin to lose a sense of gratitude for God's grace? When you either begin to take it for granted or, or, or you just feel, I don't know, everything just goes wrong. You feel entitled to it. I, I don't know. But when, when you lose it, what happens? What happens in your spiritual life? Can you trace your spiritual life and see times where you've lost that gratitude and times where you were overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude? And what was the difference in your spiritual life? I think it's a very important concept to consider. But Thomas Akempis wants us to consider the gratitude for the grace of God. And here we go. Paragraph one, why seek rest since you are born to trouble? So why are you seeking rest? Why are you seeking peace? You're born to trouble. In other words, you can seek rest, you can seek peace, all you want in this life, but you better just realize that you're born to trouble, you're going to experience, because in this life there will be trial, pain, sickness, death, hurt, uh, betrayal. There's going to be everything in this life. So you can seek all of the comfort you want. You can seek all the comfort, the peace, and escape, but ultimately you're never going to get away from it. So Thomas Akimpis told us, dispose yourself to patience rather than to comfort instead of seeking comfort instead of seeking relief instead of seeking uh you know escape commit yourself to patience rather than to comfort and the bearing of the cross rather than gladness seek to bear the cross rather than gladness rather than joy you seek to bear the cross and rather than than finding patience you seek comfort or i've said you you seek patience rather than comfort Seek patience rather than comfort. Seek the cross rather than gladness. That is what Thomas Aquinas sets for right here in the beginning of this chapter. I want you to hear, that's very profound. Why are you seeking, first, kind of just a theoretical question. Why are you seeking rest when your life is going to be made up of trouble? It seems like a foolish endeavor. It seems like you're just, you're, you're seeking that which you're never truly going to experience because you're going to have trouble. And why, instead of commit yourself to having patience, to endure the trial and trouble rather than comfort you can try to find the comfort and dis- dispose yourself to comfort but you're just going to experience more trouble and why don't you just focus on bearing the cross rather than gladness because any gladness which is associated with things going wonderful in your life it's only temporary because bad things are coming it, it's a, you can say you could say it's a very cynical and negative approach to life i think it's a very Spiritual and very realistic approach to life, you could have your own perspectives. But then he goes on to the next paragraph. What secular person is there who would not willingly receive comfort and and spiritual joy if he could always have it? So, in other words, even a secular person, even a person of the flesh, they would willingly receive comfort. They would really willingly receive joy. If they could have it, they would be like, Give me joy, give me comfort. That's what even a fleshly person would want those things. Every, everybody would want those things. For spiritual comfort exceeds all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. True spiritual comfort exceeds all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. I don't think we truly believe that. I, I think we may know it theoretically, but I think we truly, typically, we look for the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. For the worldly delights are either vain or unclean. But spiritual delights are only pleasant and honest, sprung from virtues and infused by God into pure minds. But these divine comforts can no man always enjoy, exceeding according to his desire, for the time of temptation ceases not. So they say any of these divine comforts that you could get, you have to realize they're only, you're, uh, no man can always enjoy them because we live in a world where temptation, trial, and trouble never ceases. But false freedom of mind and great confidence of ourselves is very contrary to the heavenly visitation. God does well for us in giving the grace of comfort, but man does evil in not returning all again unto God with thanksgiving. So God does well in giving us grace of comfort, but we do evil when we do not return everything to God in thanksgiving. So there's a tendency that we take the grace of comfort for granted instead of returning it with thanksgiving. And therefore the gifts of grace cannot flow in us because we are unthankful to the giver and do not return them wholly to the head fountain. For grace ever attends him who duly gives thanks and from the proud shall, shall be taken that which is wont to be given to the humble. Now, I can't go back through everything we've talked about that in regards to that paragraph. There's a lot there to meditate on. Then he continues. All right, I desire not that consolation which takes from me contrition, nor do I aim at the contemplation which leads to haughtiness of mind. Now, this is this is a powerful statement. Now, if you're not familiar with the writing of Thomas A Kempis, remember, sometimes it can be very confusing. It's almost like a string of consciousness, right? Where he gets an idea, writes an idea, then another idea, then another idea. Sometimes it feels like they're very much linked together. Sometimes they're very much like the Proverbs, where you get kind of a thought, and then the next one doesn't really connect to the previous one. So it's it's really, sometimes it can be really difficult trying to figure out exactly where he's going as far as putting it together within a chapter. But we, we don't have time to go back go through all of that because we've been talking about the book now for years. But you can go back and listen to all of our introductory uh you know studies on this very famous book. All right, but he says now this is what Thomas Akempis says I desire not that consolation which takes from me contrition. In other words, he does not want any consolation, he doesn't want any comfort that would take away contrition. Now, if you look up the word contrition, now, I, I know, okay, we're going to have to, I'm going to look it up on an iPad. So I know we just traveled back in time 500 years. Okay, we're going to have to jump back to 2022. So here we are, we're back in 2022. Okay, don't get whiplash, okay? But we're gonna we're going to look up the word contrition. All right, if you look up the word contrition, it means this. Contrition is the state of feeling remorseful and penitent. Contrition is the idea of feeling remorseful and penitent, remorseful over your sin, remorseful over your your spiritual condition, and you're penitent or you're repentant of it. So what Thomas Akempis says is, hey, I would rather, I, I would not, I don't want any comfort at all, that takes away from me contrition. In other words, if I feel contrite, broken, remorseful, and repentant, don't give me any comfort because I don't want it to take away that contrition. Now, that on one hand, that sounds super spiritual, and I do understand that. I think what he's saying is I don't want any, I don't want a physical comfort. I don't want an earthly, fleshly comfort. If I'm feeling contrition, sometimes we seek a comfort that comes from people, or circumstances. I I would hope, Thomas Akempis would agree, that if when I'm feeling contrition, I do want the comfort that comes from God's grace. I just don't want to substitute comfort that comes from the flesh. Sometimes when we are broken in our sin, embarrassed, humiliated, shamed, beyond all comprehension, we may look for the comfort of friends or people, but we really need the comfort that comes from God's grace, because that's the only thing that should provide true comfort for conviction of sin. He goes, nor do I aim at the contemplation, which leads to haughtiness of mind. In other words, he doesn't want to be involved in you know, c- contemplation. He doesn't want to be involved in any, any kind of thinking or meditating that's only going to make him haughty of mind. In other words, I don't want to sit there and f- meditate on anything that's just going to make me arrogant or prideful. Like like if I'm if I'm meditating on something, thinking about something that may seem to be spiritual, but if the end result just makes me arrogant, then I I don't want that is what he says here. He goes on to say, "For not all that is high is holy." Not all that is sweet, good, nor ev- uh, nor every desire pure. Now, let me, I'll go through this again. This is important. This is some power stuff stuff here, all right? For not all that is high is holy. Something may appear high. It may seem important. It may seem wonderful, but it may not be holy. Not all that is sweet, good, nor every desire pure. Just because something is sweet, just because something is good. And clearly not every desire is pure. Nor is everything that is dear unto us pleasing to God. Just because something is pleasing to us, so just because something seems to be, can bring me comfort that can make me smarter, may not turn out to be pleasing to God and holy and spiritually beneficial. In other words, our what we desire and what may be pleasing and comforting to us may not be best for us spiritually. See, what, what Thomas Akempis wants us to understand is: we so perceive things from a fleshly perspective that if it if it comforts us, if it makes us happy, it makes us joy, gives us joy, if it makes us wise, we may immediately say, "Well, that's all wonderful and that's all great and it must be from God." But it actually may not be. It may not, it may actually not be holy. It may not actually be pure. It may actually be harmful to us spiritually. Sometimes, what is the most comforting comforting and pleasing to the flesh is most detrimental to our spiritual life and that's hard for us to understand willingly do i accept of that grace whereby i may ever be found humbler and more fearful and may become more readier to renounce myself i will accept the grace from god that makes me more humble more fearful and more ready to renounce myself i would rather have the grace that makes me more humble more fearful and more ready to renounce myself than the comfort that would give me peace and joy in a fleshly way. In other words, I should value my spiritual growth more than my physical comfort and joy or or fleshly wisdom. He who is taught by the gift of grace and schooled by the rod of its withdrawing will not dare to attribute any good to himself, but will rather acknowledge himself poor and naked. Give unto God that which is God's and ascribe unto yourself that which is your own. That is, give thanks to God for his grace and feel that to yourself alone, the fault and the fit punishment of the fault are due. All right? A lot in that paragraph, but we've already talked about it, okay? Now, this is the paragraph we we ended with on May the 10th, all right? Set yourself always in the lowest place and the highest shall be given you for the highest cannot stand without the lowest. In other words, your approach should always be humility. Humble yourself. Set yourself at the lowest place. Don't go seek out the chief seats. Don't go sit. find yourself the place of prominence. Don't make it about you. Don't do anything to exalt yourself. Don't do that. The chiefest saints before God are the least before themselves. The chiefest saints before God are the least before themselves. Now, it's not the chiefest saints before God are the ones who appear more humble to everyone else. No, they are the ones who are the least before themselves. You may do a good job of putting on a front that you're humble. You may put on a good front. You may everyone may think you're humble. The key is no no no, before yourself. What do you really think about yourself? When nobody else is looking, what do you think? Come on, honestly, is there arrogance? Is there pride? Is there self glorification, self-exaltation, self-seeking, self-will, your way, your, you want the position, you want, you want, you want, you think you deserve, you think you're entitled. Come on, before yourself. The chiefest saints before God are the least before themselves, and the more glorious they are, so much within themselves are they humbler those are full of truth and heavenly glory are not greedy for vain glory. If you're full of truth and heavenly glory, you will not be seeking vain glory. You're not going to be greedy for it, greedy for it because you've you've experienced the the uh as as it says the heavenly glory and the and the truth of God. The truth of God and heavenly glory should so satisfy you that you're not greedy for an earthly fleshly vain glory but I have found myself too many times far more obviously I am not full of truth and heavenly glory because I have longed for and desired and done whatever I think I could to get the fleshly vain glory you I don't I can't speak for you I just know I've been guilty of it Those who are firmly settled and grounded in God can no wise be puffed up, and they who ascribe all unto God, whatever good they have received, seek not glory one of another, but wish for that glory which is from God alone, and desire above all things that God may be praised in them. What we should desire more than anything is not our glory not our exaltation, not a position, but what we should desire more than anything is that God may be praised in us. Do you desire God being praised in you or do you desire to be praised? <laughs> now, it's very—it's a fine line because you say, no, 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 I want God to be praised. But what you really want is you want people to praise you for being godly. See, it's one thing, I want God to be praised. It's another thing that you want to be praised. You want God to be praised because you are godly. In other words, you want a part of it. Hey, I want God to receive all the praise. No, I want to be. I want God to be praised because I am godly. You, you make it a little bit about you. You you, you say, hey, I want people to say because I so see you. I see God. You want, to, in a sense, you want to be a part of the formula. And in all his saints, and after this very thing, they are always striving. We should always be striving for God to be praised. We should always be striving for God to be praised and us to be ignored, to be forgotten, to be overlooked, to not be seen. But when we, but we have a tendency to get in the way and we want to be seen. We want a part of it. We want to be a part of it. Now, here are the last two paragraphs. Be therefore... Be therefore thankful for the least gift, and you shall be ready to receive greater. Let the least be even as the greatest, yea, the most contemptible gift as of special value. If you consider the worth of the giver, no gift will seem little or of too small esteem. I want you to hear this again. Thomas Aquinas wants you to learn to be thankful for the least gift, for the one that may receive contempt, one that everyone may look down, one that may everyone may laugh at. Everyone, you may, like, how could you be grateful for that? I mean, what, is, what kind of gift is that? But here's the thing. If you consider the worth of the giver, no gift can ever seem little. If you see the worth in the giver, if you see the value in the giver, then the gift can never appear small because it comes from the giver whom you value above all things. If you value God above all things, even the smallest gift that he would give you, you will see as well, you'll be you'll be thankful, you'll be overwhelmed with gratitude, you'll be you'll be blown away even the smallest thing because you see the value in the giver. We focus on the value of the gift and minimize the value of the giver. And in fact, sometimes we determine the value of the giver by the value of the gift, but we should see the value of the gift by seeing the value of the giver. And the giver is the eternal sovereign God. That's the giver. He is worthy He is valuable no matter what the gift he gives us is. But too many times we see, we value God based off the gifts he gives us. And if he doesn't give us the gifts we want, then we complain to God. We grumble because we are judging the value of God based off the value of the gift he gives us. And when things are going bad or wrong and we don't get the gift we want, we get bitter towards God. We get unhappy with God because we are judging the value of God based off the value of the gift we receive, but we should determine the value of the gift based off the value of the giver, which is, well, he's valuable above all. That's a very profound spiritual point. For for that cannot be little, which is given by the most high God. Nothing can be considered little, little given by the Most High God as long as we see the value of the giver. Again, if we determine the value of the giver by the value of the gift, everything begins to fall apart. Yea, if he had should yay, if he should give punishment and stripes, it ought to be a matter of thankfulness because he does it always for our welfare whatever he permits to happen to us. In other words, even if he brings into our life grief, pain, suffering, punishment, strife, chastisement, we should just be as overwhelmed with thanksgiving as if he brought in all kinds of comfort and all kinds of joy and all kinds of prosperity and all kinds of wealth. No, no, no. Whatever he gives us, we should be overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving because it comes from God. Even if it's punishment, even if it's, if it's trial and difficulty, we know somehow he has a purpose in it. But as soon as things go a little wrong, we grumble and we complain. Because again, we really determine the value of God by what is given to us. But the value of God has nothing to do with what he gives us. The value of God is because God is, well, he's the most high. He's glorious, he's holy, he's almighty, he's worthy of all praise, even if he never gave us anything. Last paragraph. He who desires to keep the grace of God, let him be thankful for grace given and patience for the taking away thereof. Let him pray that it may return, let him be cautious and humble, lest he lose it. Now, of course, there's a little bit of his Catholicism coming into play. If you don't know about Thomas A. Kempis, he wrote this in a Catholic monastery. Okay, so sometimes you see a little bit of it, but this is about gratitude for God's grace. Now, there, there's much here that we could take apart. There, there's so much there. I mean, hopefully you'll go back and just listen to all of that because every every line in that chapter is readily profound. Some of it's a little confusing at the beginning, and we struggled with a little bit of it from the beginning and trying to figure out exa- exactly which direction he was going. But I, I think I think there I, I, tried to, I tried to take away some of the – because a lot of times when I'm reading it, I love to play the devil's advocate and ask tough questions because I don't like you to be a passive listener. I like you to struggle with trying to figure it out. It, it hasn't always worked very well with the imitation of Christ because I think a lot of people aren't worth, invested enough to try to figure it out. They're just like, okay, whatever, and just move on. But that's a, ratherly, a rather profound chapter. A rather profound chapter. So are you overwhelmed with gratitude for God's grace? What happens when you lose that gratitude? Gratitude. And do you determine the value of God by the gifts you receive, by the gifts he gives, or do you determine the value of the gifts by the value of the giver, which God is, well, he deserves all praise. So no matter the smallest gift, you should just be as grateful for as the largest gift because it comes from God. And The the value of the gift is determined by the value of the giver. The value of the giver is not determined by the value of the gift. That is a beautifully profound point, as pointed out by Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ. Yes, we started off with a little bit of fun with time travel, but it got deadly serious right there. And hopefully, you will give that much thought and consideration on this Friday evening. Did I say July the 10th? I hope I did not. June the 10th, 2022. This is where I always feel like, ah, we should probably do more, but um, we're already so far behind in trying to make it through this book. We really can't do more. But if there's something in there that just jumped out at you, And I'm sorry, I was away from the mic there. If there's something in the book that just jumped out at you, just let me know if there's a phrase or something, because I got no problem turning on the microphone and talking about it. The next chapter is Lovers of the Cross of Jesus, chapter 11 in book two on The Imitation of Christ. Again, if you please uh, go back and listen to everything, it's been a long journey through the book. Uh, We have been working on the book for a long time. And, uh, Yeah, I I I hope you find it all to be uh, greatly beneficial. I hope you do. I hope you have. Some of you have, some of you may not, but there you have it. All right, I'm gonna stop there for now. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Now we can we can put everything we can leave the past. 500 years plus in the past, and we can return now to Friday, June the 10th, 2022. I know you may be, you may look around going, I think I'll go back to 500 years in the past, but I don't know. There's a lot of bad things that's happened in the last 500 years. So I think we're probably just, this is where God has put us. He's put us in this time, at this pl- at this moment. So I think we can take the wisdom spiritual wisdom as put forth over 500 years ago, and think about it and meditate on it today and see how we can use it to move forward in our spiritual life and uh, how we can help others in the time in which we have been placed here, which is now. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.